mindfulness mode. When we know the truth of who we are, which is the great emptiness within, we truly know the truth of who we are. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness here on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Lankford. Mindful Tribe, I was sent an incredible book. And this was meant to be, this was just incredible. There's so much beauty in this book. There's so much wisdom in this book. And the book is written by Gabriel Cousins. And the book is called Into the Nothing. Into the Nothing. And so I'm very honored and thrilled to have Gabriel with me today. Gabriel, are you in mindfulness mode today? (laughs) Every day. (laughs) Awake and asleep. That's great. When you meditate enough, it also happens during your sleep. Isn't that great? I feel like I woke up almost from a coma this morning, so I think that must be a deep form of meditation because I meditate every day and I just felt, well, I had incredible dreams and I woke up and I was spending my first hour of the day meditating and reflecting on those dreams. But we're going to start with reflecting on a a prayer that you're going to share with us, wisdom of the heart, merging of the heavens and earth, and the heart and the mind. So let's start with that, Gabriel. Okay, because that just sets the tone for everyone. Here we go. And take a moment now just to feel that merging. Okay. Okay, that prayer makes me very curious. <laughs> very curious. The key is mindfulness mode, the way I talk about it, includes the heart aspect, not just the mind. And they play off of each other. Uh, and and it, I call it the wisdom of the heart. Because it's one thing to make clear decisions. It's another thing, like through mindfulness, It's another thing to make clear decisions that are aligned with a kind of a bigger understanding. That's what the heart kind of symbolizes. And in our world, so many of us put more focus on the mind than the heart. Isn't that true? Way more focus. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's so interesting to to talk to you because and i'm just going to share a bit about you with mindful tribe you're a world-renowned holistic physician a rabbi yogi spiritual mystic you're a psychiatrist a family therapist a humanitarian a peace ambassador and there's just so much to share about you and uh it it says here that you live in the world between nothing, which is the world beyond time, and something, which is the temporal world. So let's start there. How did you get to the point where you see yourself as, as living in this world between nothing and something? It, it happened gradually, and it was not philosophical. Uh, I lived in India for seven years and began meditating about six hours a day. Mm -hmm. 
and also focusing uh, intense contemplation on the divine name with chanting and so forth. During that time, I began to move into the nothing. Now, what is the nothing? You disappear as a separate ego, as a separate I-ness, and there is only that or nothing. And that's it. There's nothing to say. I'm just joking. But, right. but the point is, that is not just uh, quiet, but you aren't there. There's not a you with the quiet mind. You disappear and there's only the divine. So that's the nothing, which I began to live in more and more based on my inner experience. That's really what we're talking about. It wasn't theoretical. There's no me. Okay, that's fine. And then there's a me merges out of that. That I-ness, because you need that I-ness to operate in the world, to write a book, to talk to you. We have to have that I-ness. But it's a play going back and forth simultaneously. So I'm sitting here talking to you, but within there's experience of nothing. Well, it's fascinating to get a chance to talk to you. And in your book, you went way back. It's the story of you. You showed a picture of your, your amazing parents and a picture of you when I think you were three and a half. Tell us about your childhood. Was there foreshadowing when you were, say, a seven-year-old boy that you would move through a life on the pathway that you did? Not really. I was raised in suburbia in the 40s. Mm -hmm. so I was born in 1943, okay? I had TB the first year, oh. and TB in those times, you know, you're not expected to survive. Right. There was no treatment for it at that time. There is now, but not at that time. So I was facing the mystery of death from my inception, from, from my very beingness. And that affected me because I wanted to know the mystery of death. And so I began searching for that. So I was uh, focused with that search. When I was four, I knew I wanted to be a doctor. No one in my family had ever been a doctor. I had no idea exactly what it was about, but I knew that. So mm -hmm. I was tuning into destiny. When I was eight, I began to have mystical visions and which no one understood so i stopped sharing <laughs> and then uh i got more deeper mystically my my brother was killed in a car accident he and i were very close when i was 16 and i began actively meditating uh as a way of just being there with it i meditate in, in his room and just feel his presence and that's when i began and then at the age of 33, because I'm still seeking, what's the meaning of death? Okay, uh, and it, I received what we call a energetic uh, transmission from Swami Muktananda, uh, who I lived in his ashram for seven years. And when I came down, I went into the nothing. And when I came down, a little voice rang out and said, you should learn to live and eat in a way that supports the spiritual energy that takes you here. 
So that's how I began my work with spiritual nutrition. It wasn't like a nutritional approach. It was like, this is what spirit told me. This is what I had to do. So I began to search for the diet that best supports spiritual awareness. Uh, And that's how I wrote the first of my 13 books, Spiritual Nutrition and the Rainbow Diet. And from there, I began, as I say, meditating more and more and more. So it became a central part of my life. Uh, Well, it was that way from really age 33 on. Right. So that's how that evolved. And then different directions kind of came in that way. And that's the key. But it became not a practice of meditation, but a way of life. I call it in my book, the way of holistic liberation, physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. Um, And does include the physical. I was captain of an undefeated college football team, Amherst College football team, National Football Hall of Fame. Um, And at that time, I'm gonna make a point here, I could do, uh, uh, 60 push-ups. So that, that's 20 years old. Uh, but on the diet from the age of 33 on, which is a plant-based diet and mostly uh, live food, uh, raw live food, at least 80%, but for me it's like 99%. Uh, today I did 1,300 push-ups. That's incredible. Now see, what's important is here I am, age almost 78, versus, so 58 years later, I'm stronger and more flexible than I was when I was captain of an undefeated football team. So what I'm saying, there's an, we can evolve with age, not just spiritually, which is classical, but also physically and emotionally. So there's a, I'm, I'm really talking about in the book, a whole paradigm of, wait, we don't have to age per se. We can actually get younger if we give it that attention and clarity of mind and quickness of mind. And, you know, as a a person uh, dealing with multiple things all at once, which is my style, as you can tell from the book. Yes. uh, To have increasing clarity of mind and mental endurance is very, very important. And, and, you know, it, it's the business of life, so to speak. So any businessman would be, or woman would be very interested in, hey, I'm meditating, I'm doing this, and my mind is clear and stronger. And I can do a lot more. I don't lose it with age. And what other kind of physical activities do you do besides push-ups? <laughs> well, I do yoga six days a week. We call it, it's called tree yoga. My wife, something my wife teaches, and I walk every day and I do a kind of physical exercise three to four times a week. And have you ever been a runner? Uh, not so much. Um, I, I walk fast. Oh, do you? And how long do you walk for, or how well, far? Well, about a half hour. About a half hour. You know, it's a, and and that's enough to keep toned. 
So my goal isn't, even though it sounds like more with all the push-ups, my goal is just to, to, to be very toned physically and emotionally, mentally. That, that, and because that's all, if you go back in, in the past, the prehistoric uh, man and woman, they were toned. They weren't doing these things. Right. So there's a, a need to keep the body toned, active, and oxygenated. I also do breathing exercise, what we call pranayama. Mm-hmm. Because you want to have oxygen in your brain. You want to have a heightened amount of oxygen. So I do that every day. And how long have you been doing over a thousand push-ups a day for? Uh, well, I've reached that in the last few years. You know, I don't that's, do it every day, three, to two, three times a week. Three times a week. That's, yeah. that's incredible. You don't need to do more intense physical more than three or four times a week. Uh, when you look at the physiology. Um, now, this may sound kind of funny, but I look at how do you do the least to get the most. So if I can do three or four times a week of heavy exercise, fine. Three actually does it. I mean, if we look at the physiology. So, you know, you're doing the mental and you're meditating every day. I meditate twice a day. Uh, I try to do an hour twice a day. And so it's a whole way of living that's a part of the picture. It's really what I'm sharing. It's like a holistic way of way of eating, a way of thinking, that, uh, you know, and, and a way of being in the world. Well, let's talk about food. Let's talk about how you came to be this best-selling author on curing diabetes. And that's all about the food. Let's talk about that. So... It, it was kind of funny, okay? So one of the, the principles in the book is everything that happens to our, us in our life is a way to grow spiritually. So I see every event as an opportunity to grow spiritually. So somebody came to me wanted to do a movie on live food. I said, no, that's not very interesting. Let's do one on live food and diabetes. So uh, I've been doing these diabetes healing groups, and we heal um, 61% in three weeks of type 2 diabetes. 61% in three weeks. That is a high percentage. That's a very high percentage, okay? Off all insulin, all medications, everything. But we think it's not healable, okay? So I said, let's do a movie about the diet, the live food diet, and see how it affects diabetes. And that's how I really got started. And then I developed a kind of a, a more a 21-day system. Mm. And what is the movie called? Uh, Raw for 30. Is that still available? I think so. It's, it's not my movie. You know, they just made the movie of me. But as right. far as I know, it is. Yeah. So that's, that's how I did it. It was just a play. It's like, okay, this is what God puts in front of me. Now, how do I turn it into something a little bit bigger? Interesting. So so it sounds like from what you've learned, about 60% of the people can get over diabetes and 40% cannot. Is that fair to say? No. No, not at all. Okay. Not, not, not quite. I, I said three weeks. Oh, that was in three weeks. Right. Okay. 
Now, if people go longer, the percentage gets higher and higher and higher. So if you're type two, insulin or not insulin dependent, um, really over time, you have a, if you're willing to follow the whole protocol, you have a very good chance to heal. That, but 61% in three weeks. So that's very fast for diabetes. Oh, three weeks is very fast. Yeah, that's very fast. So what are some of the first things you do with somebody that you start working with who has diabetes? So the key is to want to love yourself enough to want to heal yourself. And if we can't get to there, it's hard to, to go beyond. Many of the people who, who finish the 21-day the program say, thank you for helping me reconnect with my soul. Mm. So my approach includes connecting with your soul and from that experience, because we meditate twice a day during the program, um, it's from that experience that you start to love yourself enough to want to heal yourself. So the most important thing is to motivate people to want to do it. It's, uh, it's kind of easy with a live food diet, but that's three weeks. So what happens afterwards? That's where I focus on reconnecting to your soul. So you're, you're, you're empowered and inspired that way. Wow, that's incredible. But it does have a big spiritual component. Right. Okay. But it includes diet, includes exercise, includes yoga, includes breathing, includes meditation twice a day. So it's a whole way of living that people get introduced to uh, from a spiritual point of view. Well, the people you work with must be overwhelmed and thrilled with the success. Yes. Yes. Hey, Mindful Tribe, I love what Dr. Cousins is saying about how much he's been able to help his clients. And this is what we need to do as humans a lot of times is ask each other for help. Ask a person you resonate with for help. And if that's Dr. Cousins, this is the time to do it because he is obviously an amazing man who has got so many abilities and had so many experiences. And I encourage you to contact Dr. Cousins and, and set up some uh, help with him because as humans that's what we need to do is look to each other for help look to someone that you resonate with now maybe you've been listening to mindfulness mode for a while and you've thought to yourself you know i resonate with bruce i think that i would really benefit by working with bruce and of course i have been trained as a hypnotist and i've found great success in helping people using coaching and hypnosis people who have been stuck people who have had anxiety and stress and just have felt paralyzed and not been able to move forward this hypnosis has helped them really in a big way to move forward and feel like they are empowered instead of feeling like they are disempowered, feeling like they are in control of their lives, feeling a sense of peace, feeling a sense of contentment. That can be you. So I encourage you, reach out. Send me an email, bruce at mindfulnessmode.com. And in that email, put in the subject line, put into the nothing. 
and then I'll know that you heard me on this episode. And then we'll set up a 30-minute chat. We'll talk about whether hypnosis could be right for you, and we will move from there. So yeah, send me an email. Let's get started. Don't put it off. You're worth it. Don't let your inner bully convince you to wait another day or another, even another hour. Just hit pause and send that email, bruce at mindfulnessmode.com. And in that subject line, into the nothing, and you are going to move forward, celebrate, make it happen. You are worth it. So now back to Dr. Cousins. Because most of the people coming in the program don't have a spiritual background. They, uh, this is an interesting kind of attitude, and I really want to get rid of my diabetes. And what's your book called that you wrote about uh, curing diabetes? There is a cure for diabetes. Okay, there is a cure for diabetes. That's, that's interesting. And uh, you don't hear that in the mainstream world, do you? That's right, because there's an old saying, if you walk in the wrong direction, you end up in the wrong direction. Okay. So if you think you can cure diabetes with insulin, you're not curing it. No. If you don't really make a radical change in diet, you don't, you're not walking in the right direction. And living a life that way is, of course, beneficial for all of us, whether we have diabetes or not, right? Of course, of course. Of course. The diabetes part was really secondary. It was not a primary goal. It was like, okay, right. let's do this. That's interesting. And from that, I've done diabetes prevention and treatment, uh, prevention programs all over the world. And of course, on the internet now, we're, we're doing the programs. Uh, like I have a um, this weekend a meditation retreat. We're meditating three times a day and talks and things. And then in a few weeks, we have a spiritual fast, which involves a lot of these things, which is a part of my diabetes program. Um, and so. All these things are happening, although we're just doing it over the internet. People want to find out about it, they can go to drcousins.com or treealife.mn.co, and the programs are listed. Uh, the meditation we, uh, retreats we're doing once a month. And that's uh, Friday night, Saturday, Sunday programs. They're really intensive, you know. And it's worldwide, so it does get me up at late. You know, I'm, I deal with all the time changes. Right. So it's, it's a late night thing for me for three days. Right. And drcousins.com, and I'll point out it's C-O-U-S-E-N-S. Yes. So it's D-R, right? D-R, it's not, you don't have to spell out doctor, do you? No, it's drcousins.com. Right, that's what I thought. So, so just... Plant that into your mind, mindful tribe, Dr. Cousins, C-O-U-S-E-N-S dot com. And you can check out this training. So what is the training and the, the work with clients that you do that you love the most? What I love the most is to see people wake up. Mm. Everything else, once you wake up, then everything else is simple. But one of the things that does happen um, for my uh, spiritual teacher, he imbued me with the power to awaken what we call Kundalini, or what we call the uh, in the Torah the Ruach Hakodesh, or basically the the spiritual energy. 
that everybody has within them. I love seeing that awakening happen because that's the, the uh, big step in people's life experience because now they're tuned in more naturally to spiritual life. It's in, it becomes more inherent. So I love to see that happen. And wow. the fast, it happens in about 90% of the people, even mm-hmm. over the internet, which was a delightful surprise. Yes, yes. It's amazing how much we can do over the internet, that's for sure. And and it's very fortunate that we can, living in the world that we're living in right now. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's great. Well, I always ask a question about bullying, and since you've worked in this whole field of food and written this book, There is a Cure for Diabetes, have you ever had negative repercussions? Have you ever... Would you ever say you've been bullied as a result of this belief and this work you've done about diabetes? Not so much. I would say uh, in early, in the 1990s, I did, and I write about it in the book, receive, you know, from the different bo- boards, you know, some, some pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it's more the in thing. Holistic medicine is more an in thing. So it's it's current. It's not against the, the flow, so to speak. Right. Pioneers, you're always going to get hassled. It's just the way it is. It's the name of the yeah. game. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so that's how I saw it. I didn't say it was comfortable, but that's how I saw it. it was like, right. Have you ever been bullied in your life or were you ever a bully in your life? Do you have a story you can share where mindfulness would have made a difference? To me, I've never been bullied. I've never bullied anybody. Nobody would be, nobody would bully me. Let's just put it that way. It's just, I'm not that kind of person, so to speak. Okay, but the story that I think is important about mindfulness was more by accident. But as a um, captain of an undefeated football team, and we had no training, okay? But I would go into what clearly was meditation. And uh, on the defense, I played middle linebacker, mm-hmm. okay? So I would just sit in a state of silence, a totally quiet mind, totally mindful mind. And it gave me the, the ability to move in any direction once the play started. So I'm using the football direct experience because that's how a lot of people live. Life is football or you know, yeah. life is a, a, a battle, a game. So having a quiet mind sitting there as a middle linebacker, I'm ready to go in any direction because there's no distractions. So my mind would just be blank, sitting, standing, you know, ready to go. So mm-hmm. to me, it's it's kind of a very mundane example, but it really speaks to most people's lives because most people's lives, whether they play football or not, is it's all about competition in different ways. You know, business is that way. So, so when you're in that quiet mind space, you can think totally clearly. You can move in any direction that's needed because you're not having restraints and counter thoughts. So it allows you to be just with the flow. Now, that's the way I live my life, okay? But I'm just that's just an example. Here you are in the middle of a football game. Come on. And you're sitting there with a quiet mind? Yes, because it works. Right. 
And I, I think, I hope many of your listeners kind of appreciate that from their own lives. It's like, wow, I wish I could just sit with a quiet mind at the board meeting or whatever I'm doing and be able to play and be able to move in any direction without being stressed. Yeah. So that's a, a mundane, but I think very direct example of that. And that's the way I live. Yeah, thank you for that. Your path took you toward the Native American tradition, and you uh, became a four-year Native American sun dancer and an eagle dancer and an 11-year spirit dancer. Can you tell us about that and how the dancing began to play such an important role in your life? First, I love to dance. Yeah. So often before I do a talk, I'll dance to some fast music for three minutes, with the people. I just, I like dancing. Um, the Native American, I was just drawn to it, um, partly from a vision that I had in the 1970. And I, I saw three figures. And one was a, a, a Torah figure, Abraham, one was Sai Baba of Shirdi, and one was a Native American, crazy horse, okay? And so I was always drawn to it. So one day I was kind of at a gathering and there was the head of the Sundance, uh, Cam Leches, and I said, I'd like to do the Sundance. He said, okay, well come, you can come as a, a participant, not as a participant, as a person that looks, but of course I just came and I danced. Mm -hmm. Okay, I loved it. Because it was just a, a, a different kind of uh, a challenge. I uh, am physical in that way, so it was really easy for me to do compared to other people that weren't on a life with diet and so forth. I would just sail through it. In the fourth year, I did it, what we call the Eagle Dance, where you uh, are you familiar with the Sundance at all? Or? Okay, so what they do is they put uh, pegs through your chest about right here, and you're tied to the tree. For, for the regular dance, it's just for an hour or two. But the eagle dance, it's for four days. And you never leave the circle, and you just dance. And so, and again, I happen to enjoy these things. I know mm -hmm. that sounds really weird, but it's <laughs> another way of, of having experience, of, of, of kind of going into deep, a spiritual experience and another way of transformation because in my world stress i call it ooh stress you know helpful stress is helps with the power of transformation so i gained a lot from that um and i was able to it's four days without food and water and really out of the 60 to 80 people in the different dances I was really the only one to go without food and water for four days. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I'm eating my foods, I fast, it's, it wasn't that hard. So um, and that kind of inspired a lot of people to kind of change their lifestyle, seeing me with that. The other thing is I didn't get sunburned. Now, how does a person with white skin be in the sun for four days and not get sunburned? Other right. people got sunburned with a lot darker skin. In fact, almost everybody did. The answer is, when you're eating live food, you're taking the light energy in the food and transmitting it into your own body. 
Now, over time, your body becomes like a, a, like a leaf. It takes the energy directly. You don't get burnt, but it, it's, and it moves directly through photosynthesis into that. Uh, other researchers have actually found that to be true. Joanna Bugwood uh, treating cancer, she found her cancer patients uh, could be out in the sun four times longer. She would put them on a live food diet to cure cancer. So I, I was the only one not to get sunburned. That's amazing. Well, because you eat in the sun, you're taking the energy from the sun directly and you're whatever. It's not photosynthesis because you're not a plant, but it is like photosynthesis. So I was drawing directly from the sun. So it was uh, a really good uh, learning experience because I didn't exactly think about it until I noticed, wait, I'm not sunburned. Everybody else is. What's going on? So it's incredible. And later you were appointed head of the Yellow Horse Clan. Tell us yes, about that. Yes. Well, the, the totem, the horse, you know, in Native American, we have a, a totems. The horse is the one who ascends to the heavens. So the symbol of the horse, not only being strong and part of the herd, but also being a leader as well. It's about the horse that ascends to the heavens. So the meaning of horse is transcendence. Mm. So my chief gave me that name. That's very cool. Uh, the interesting thing is in India, uh, Muktananda gave me the name Red Horse. It's like, what? I didn't ask for a name. He just gave it to me. So there's some horse energy, which is the galloping, you know, force of spiritual life, because that's what we're talking about, of transcending. So the horse is in, in the different traditions is, is about transcending uh, the physical plane and going into the higher planes. So that's what that's about. Yeah, that's very interesting. I'd like, Gabriel, for you to talk a bit more specifically about the live food diet so that people who have no idea what this really means can understand what that is. Right. So in my research, starting in 1975, the question is how, what is the best way to be, I'm going to use the word superconductor of the divine. So I'll let the spiritual energy, which in yoga we call Kundalini, uh, what's the best way to support it? So what I noticed is that people who ate meat, fish, chicken, dairy, it tended to clog the subtle channels, which in yoga are called nadis, but they're called different things in different traditions. And when people stopped doing that, the energy began to flow more intensively. Uh, so based on that, I just, just design the diet that says, okay, we don't want anything that's going to block your channels, mm -hmm. the nadis. I also uh, noted that um, you're taking in the animal ego and the soul of the animal. If you eat the blood, as it says like in the, in the, in the Bible, you're taking the soul of the animal in. So don't eat I the see. blood, but the point is you're doing that. So, and the animal, not that animals aren't really good, but they're not the same as a human soul, from my point of view, and kind of traditional point of view. And so that brings you down. 
Mm-hmm. So it's a very traditional, it's a, not my teaching. It's a very traditional teaching that you don't eat animal products because it lowers your frequency. Mm-hmm. That's really, and you're taking the pain and misery and fear that the animal has before it's killed, and that goes into the meat or the milk or whatever, you know, and then that you take it into you. You take in that pain, misery, and suffering. And when you're not doing that, when you're eating a plant-based diet, you're, you're not having that extra load on your system. I see. So no dairy, no no uh, fish, fish or... or chicken, right. Right, right. Okay, so then let's talk about what you are eating. What are some of the best ways that you're getting protein and you're getting, you know, your most nutritious food? Right. Um, I mostly have just uh, vegetables, a little bit of fruit, and nuts and seeds. Okay. But I also noticed, even though I don't need a lot of protein, I only really eat one meal a day, basically, um, that you need protein. And so I will use more uh, protein concentrates, spirulina, chlorella, blue green algae, if people have heard of that, uh, you know, pea protein, different protein concentrates that can really give you a lot of protein in a very small volume. Mm-hmm. Uh, people's needs, people are unique physiologically. Uh, some people need just uh, 30% protein, 35% protein in their meal. And some people need 70%, depending on your physiological constitution. Chromosome 19, I won't go into detail, but the point right. I'm making is it's physiological. It's not like an opinion, okay? Right. I'm not a person that needs a lot of protein. Other people need more. And so we'll use protein concentrates and more nuts and seeds to bring that protein content up. You have to have a certain amount of protein. So I'm not advocating no protein here. Uh, like, right. a, like a fruitarian is not what we're talking about. And the vegetables have protein too. And, and Percentage-wise, like spinach is like 50% protein, but the point is you'd have to eat a bushel. Right. That's not too efficient. No, <laughs> you can't really it's do not. It. So, but nuts and seeds and protein concentrates that are like raw, you know, but ground up and powdered is a very, very effective way of doing this in, in, in this time, this, you know, historical time. So it's really easy to do it in our life, you know, in our lifetime, you know, and spirulina, chlorella, they've been there a long time, but the other protein concentrates have not. Right. Yeah. I'm not familiar with the protein concentrates. I'm, I'm a nuts and seeds kind of person. So I yeah. consume nuts and seeds every day, but I, I haven't been familiar with the protein supplements. So do you, I would imagine you would have to get those at a health food store, wouldn't you? Yes. Yes. Or you could order them online likely. Right. Right. I mean, but it's the same principle. Yeah, of course. The, yeah. the pea protein is a very popular one, but there's lots of different ones out there. I see. So you would just search protein supplements, I'm sure, and then you'd find all kinds Real of things. Real easy. Right. Right. Very so, interesting. Uh, and that's how I do it. I mean, in reality, besides my you know, high leafy greens, which again is high in protein, but you can only, only eat so much, as I say, it's just too much. 
Um, mm. I have one heaping tablespoon a day. Mm. That's all I need. Other That's people need, need three tablespoons three times a day. Oh, wow. So there's a big variation because we are different physiologically. Right. But everybody can do it, okay? Uh, some people just need more protein. Some people need less protein. 35 grams is the minimum. 70 grams is the maximum. And when they find that... Uh, you stay within that range, 35 to 70 grams, you increase longevity and you decrease tendency for cancer, heart disease. Right. So it's a longevity formula as well. I really like your poetry. And in your book, you share a lot of it and you, you talk about, like I'm just going to read some of the things that you have in here. Um, this isn't so much your poetry, but you have your teaching moments and you say hate disconnects us from others and from our own soul. And this separation consciousness, unfortunately, creates an angry, intolerant, fascist social environment, which works against our spiritual evolution, which is one of oneness and unity. There's so much that you share in here. And we do seem like we've gone so far from that oneness and unity. Yes. Yeah. So when you're eating in a certain way that calms the mind, and you're meditating, mm -hmm. and you're doing exercise that is calming to yourself, then it's much easier to have a quiet mind so you can experience the unity. That's the beauty. They're, they're not separate. They, they add together. They create a synergy of a quiet mind. And that's a more sustainable uh, mindfulness. So you're eating meat, you're taking the pain and misery, and you're taking the anger of the animal, and it, it aggravates the mind. It, it creates aggravation there, whereas you're not eating animal food, and you're just, your mind gets quieter. It just, that's what happens. But it's not the only thing. The meditation is the big thing. It makes the mind quiet. And you meditate twice a day. What's yes. your meditation like? What type of meditation do you do? Um, I start with uh, just repeating the, the name of God until my mind's quiet. And then I'm, that's it. I'm just going to a quiet, a, a, a quiet mind. Right. Right. Very, very simple. I don't make it complicated. Right, right. Yeah. As we move toward the end of the interview, Gabriel, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this. Who is one person who has been just overall an incredible and powerful mindfulness influence for you? I, I would say Swami Muktananda because he's the one that really introduced me to it and he also meditated six hours a day for years and years and years. So I would sometimes link into his mind and it was just vast quiet. Mm. You know, because we, we'd be sitting in a big group, you know, a few thousand people, but I'd link in and it's like, oh, vast quiet. So that's, that's my direct it. experience, not, not so much an opinion. Right, sure. And number two, let's talk about emotions. How have the way you have dealt with your emotions, how has that changed over the years as a result of all the, the work that you've done? Yeah, so 
most of us, we start reactive. We're reactive to life. We're re reactive to the life choices we make. And over time with meditation and this lifestyle, we become interactive. So there's more choice, there's more presence, and there's more choice of options because you're operating from a quiet mind and a quiet heart. So you're less likely to, to be reactive in that way. Number three, let's talk about breathing. And you've already talked about breathing a bit, but can you sum it up how breathing can help us and how it's helped you to become more mindful? Traditionally, from a yoga point of view, we call it pranayama. And why do they add it? Because pranayama or breathing exercises help quiet the mind. So when you're doing your breathing exercises, they naturally bring the mind to a quiet, still point. So I will do that before I meditate for that reason. Right. You've written 13 books, and your most recent is this one, Into the Nothing. But if there were any other books you could recommend, what would a book be that could help people with mindfulness? The Well, again, I'll refer to Swami Bukhidana and his experience, Play of Consciousness. But there... Uh, Tit Nhat Han, I think, uh, really epitomizes the mindfulness in a certain way. And his books are, I, I, my experience, are very good. Not not just one, but those a range of books. Right, for sure, they really are. Can you share an app which can help people with mindfulness in one way or another? There is a meditation app that uses mindfulness. Uh, as part of their thing. I can't, uh, well, I think it was just like the word meditation, but um, mm -hmm. I never use those things. I just do it. Right. it you just do it, and you've been doing it for years. Right. So, yeah. I don't use any support systems. That makes sense. Yeah. And uh, do you have any final words of advice for our mindful tribe, for for those of us who are working on mindfulness and we're meditating every day and we're uh, we're just searching and learning. Do you have any pieces of advice for us? You are what you're searching for. And when we know the truth of who we are, which is the great emptiness within, we truly know the truth of who we are. And the mindfulness meditation Meditation where we create a quiet mind is the way to access that naturally and spontaneously. And I never, I never focus the meditation. It's like just go into the quietness wherever it goes. So it's important to meditate with intent but without a goal. Right. So mindful tribe, listen to that advice. Take that advice drcousins.com, D R C O U S E N s.com and i really recommend you read read this book into the nothing it's just incredible thank you so much for being on the show today dr cousins you're welcome bruce i want to bless you for your good work in inspiring so many people and i want to be bless your listeners for being wise enough to listen to you <laughs> <laughs> thank and you may, so much and may everyone be blessed that we expand 
our consciousness through a quiet mind. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure talking to you today. Great, Bruce. And I'm happy to be on again. You asked really good questions, so thank you. Oh, thanks so much. You have a good rest of your day. Bye now. Take care. Blessings to you. Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for listening. Great to have you with us today. I always appreciate your emails. Send me an email, bruce at mindfulnessmode.com and tell me how you like the show, Into the Nothing. I'd appreciate hearing from you. I always do. And of course, I send out random prizes to different people who contact me, like t-shirts and mugs and things like that. And I'm really excited always to hear from you. And like I mentioned in the show, if you are feeling anxiety, If you are feeling stuck or maybe you're trying to change something in your life and you just can't make it happen, you're trying to, you know, quit smoking or you're trying to change a behavior or you just want to feel, you just want to feel content, you want to feel happy and you want to feel like you are enough because you know what? You are. Well, these are all things I help my clients with and I can help you least I believe we can. We'll get together. We can talk on a, on a 30-minute Zoom chat. Send me an email, like I mentioned in the mid-show. Send me an email, bruce at mindfulnessmode.com, and put into the nothing in the subject line, and I'll know you heard on this episode, this uh, little call-out. And I'd love to talk to you, and we'll get started, and we'll use hypnosis to help you in a most incredible way. So thanks again for listening. Just take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.